All right. Here we go. Quiet. Roll them. The show you're about to hear discusses films, books, and TV shows in their entirety. Twists, endings, and all. Without fear of spoilers. So if you don't want to know who dies, who done it, or how it all ends, we strongly advise you switch off now. Hello, I'm Paul Tyler, and welcome to Spoiler, the show which reviews movies, books, and TV shows in their entirety. This week, we're watching Gene Kelly's 1952 musical romantic comedy, Singing in the Rain. And, just another final warning, we will be talking about the whole of the film. We will ruin it for you. So, if you've not already seen Singing in the Rain, go away, watch it now, then come back to us afterwards. Have they gone? Right. On with the show. Welcome to episode 50. 50 of Spoiler. And it had to happen sooner or later. The rest of the team would convince me to watch Singing in the Rain. I want you to know just what it took for Rachel, Andy and Johnny to get me to sit down and select not just a film made over 60 years ago, but a musical film that was made over 60 years ago. I'll tell you exactly what, dear listener. It was a case of logistics. We were supposed to be watching something else and we were supposed to be going to the cinema to do it, but families, festivities and employment all got in the way. So an email was issued to the spoiler team. Why don't we do Singing in the Rain instead? I hastily replied with yes, because if there's one thing I dislike more than watching 1950s musicals, it's making a decision about what to watch. And yes, you've got it. I'm trying to put off the usual introduction, including plot details, some trivia Nick from IMDb, and the review from Roger Ebert. And do you know why? Because everybody, and I mean everybody, loves this musical film. Don, we're going to put our best feet forward. We're going to make the dueling cavalier into a talking picture. Well, we don't know anything about this gadget. What do you have to know? It's a picture. You do what you always did. You just add talking to it. Yeah? Don, believe me, it will be a sensation. Lamont and Lockwood, they talk. Well, of course we talk. Don't everybody? Make them laugh. Five stars on every site. 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. I couldn't find anything in the joy vacuum of social media. I could only rummage up some faint negativity in the YouTube comment section. But that was from an amateur stage production, where my favourite heckle comes from someone who set up a fake account in the name of Lena Lamont just to slag off the actor playing Kathy. Now that shows commitment. We can, however, take some balance from the late very great George Michael, who, in his post-wham belter, Freedom 90, claims that you can take back your singing in the rain. Hey, what about them onions? Hey, what do you mean by that? Okay, all right. I have to admit that it just rhymed with take back your picture in the frame, and yes, everybody likes this flipping film. And it's a great choice for our 50th episode, because our very first episode was Whiplash, a movie that made us discuss whether it's right to seek perfection at any cost. Reports from the set, alright, IMDB trivia, but you knew it was coming, states that Gene Kelly used Donald O'Connor as a whipping boy so as not to upset Debbie Reynolds, who was regularly in tears as a result of the perfectionist of the film's star, and years later went on to say that making this movie and surviving childbirth were the two hardest things she ever had to do. So was all the yelling worth it? Our old friend Roger Ebert certainly thought so. Singing in a Rain is a transcendent experience and no one who loves movies can afford to miss it. Dancing and singing in the rain. I 
may well be the last person on the planet to believe otherwise. But if you've listened to any of our previous 50 episodes, you'll know that Andy and Rachel can make a strong case and that I am very easily persuaded. Let's see if I can stick this one out. Later in the show, we'll be taking a closer look at another, largely overlooked, Hollywood musical. But first... Andy Goulding is here, Rachel Bennett is here, and the whole team are about to bring down the tragic dross that is singing in the rain. But I, before that happens, before that happens, I must warn you that we will be mentioning the Good Morning song, which will get in your head and will not leave for days. We apologise wholeheartedly for any emotional stress this will cause. So, Rachel, come on, let's rip into this. Oh, you're asking the wrong person. What? There. I have watched this so many times, I have come to this recording without notes. Because I don't believe I need them. Woo, get me. And I left them on the, the sofa. <laughs> <laughs> Okie dokie. But I'm, I'm confident I can do it without because I've watched it so many times. Okay. Right, so um, it's rotten, isn't it? No! It's absolutely brilliant. Although, watching it with my spoiler glasses on, mm. it's very heavily flawed. But I still absolutely love it. So, sorry about that. I just love it. Okay, enough from Rachel. Andy, come on. <laughs> uh, you're not falling for this, are you? <laughs> I absolutely love it as well, oh, obviously. Uh, in fact, I was I was almost reluctant to watch it again for spoiler because the last two times I watched this were almost perfect instances. Uh, one time I woke up, it was nearly Christmas, and I was supposed to be going to work, but it had unexpectedly snowed really heavily overnight. The house was really well stocked with loads of food. The heating was turned up. I couldn't get to work. Mm. It was still snowing outside and I watched it and isn't that like just the perfect way to watch this film? But then the next time was even better because it was for the 90th anniversary of the Kinema in the Woods, which for our listeners out there, we have a, a little cinema called the Kinema in the Woods, uh, which is a quaint little old fashioned cinema. And they put on for their 90th anniversary, they put on a double feature of The Smallest Show on Earth, which is an old Peter Sellers film and singing in the rain. So I got to see it on the big screen and it was fantastic. One thing that really I really remember from that day was uh, queuing outside before we went in and seeing three generations of a family there together. And uh, the grandparents arrived, not knowing what they were going to see. And the, the grandfather said to his daughter, what are we seeing today? And she said, singing in the rain. And he instantly like snapped into this really like graceful dance move. <laughs> and so this, this quite sort of frail looking old man suddenly became Gene Kelly before my eyes. And I thought, I saw this first in the 90s and loved it. And I was thinking he probably saw it when it came out. And so he's got all this weight of nostalgia and memories of the first time he saw it behind it. So that was lovely. So I was kind of reluctant to go back to it, but I sat down and watched it and as always, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Mm. I, t- I see, I see where you could pick at it a little bit, but to me, it, it's it flows perfectly. I think so many of these old forties and fifties musicals, uh, they're more like kind of uh, variety review shows, which have amazing big like production pieces, but really wafer thin plots. And I think this one, when you get to the musical numbers, I'm happy, but when they're not there, I don't miss them because I think it's a genuinely funny script. It's a genuinely, there's a decent plot. It moves forward fast. There's the weight of history behind it. There's a sort of biting satirical element to it. And it's all in that beautiful technicolor. So, you know, for me, it's a perfect night at the movies. And it is 
inconceivable to me, Paul, that you did not enjoy this at least a little bit. <laughs> inconceivable, right? Inconceivable. Right, here's the thing, right? I mean, I'm the host of this programme, right? You two are the, the people that bring the content. But, is, is, you know, we need to add balance here, right? You know, you know I'm always prepared to say when I've been wrong or quite a lot of the time I've been able to watch things in certain circumstances that aren't right. So I watched this... Now, let's set the plot. We've got time here. We've got time. We've got time. Right. So, 50th episode, so, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We, hey, we do what we like, right? <laughs> As I mentioned in the intro, we were supposed to be all getting together and watching. And let's say it, let's say it, because sooner or later, we may or may not come back to Mary Poppins too. And we were supposed to get together come straight down in the studio and record it and things like that. But as, you know, life is a challenge and it gets in the way, we weren't able to do it. However, Christmas Eve, I and the family went to watch Mary Poppins 2. And this isn't a Mary Poppins 2 review, right? But <laughs> it's, it's magical. There we go. We can never do this again anymore because now everyone knows what I think. <laughs> right? It was magic. It was tear-jerking. It was absolutely hilarious in places where I lost myself. It had a moment in it where just it was almost like the screen was watching me because I was slapping the leg uh, of my 14-year-old daughter who had a feet up on the, on the thing. And then there's a guy on the screen is saying, hey, you should remember what it's like to be a kid again. And literally <laughs> at that moment, at that moment, that's what was happening. It was, it was quite a unique experience. So... What I said to myself was, right, we've got singing in the rain coming up. What I'll do is, like, this is this is an enlightening experience for me. I'm going to watch this after my first day back at work after Christmas. <laughs> oh. I know. Why? What idiot? Because I thought the power, the, the, you know, that obviously I knew you two were going to come in and say this because since day one we've all been saying, oh, we should do it, we should do it. And well, should we? Because everyone's going to like it and all that kind of thing. Uh, what a challenge this was. <laughs> So I accept some of the responsibility here. But, As well you should. But here's the thing. The intro lady is very annoying. Cosmo is annoying. The dream segment is bizarre and annoying. The colouring is annoying. How much yellow do you want? It's all yellow. Lena's voice is annoying. The fact he's prancing around in the rain is annoying. <laughs> make him laugh. Make him laugh isn't funny and it's annoying. It just The whole thing just... Annoyed me. I was just irritated. You just get annoyed by musicals, though, don't you, Paul? Because I remember no, a similar because... tirade at Cabaret. Yeah. And it was it was about things being annoying. So That's you, right. You do get easily irritated by musical things. I do, but you know, we have to. There's, there's people out there like me. I think you know we have not like, many. <laughs> Heavens. But I, I was also I was thinking, well, is this? You get a little bit of knowledge, you know, when you do your your, your tiny bit of research that we do for this. Or I know, hang on, that I do for this. Fair enough. Sorry, Andy. <laughs> and um, you, you find out that okay, the, the songs were already there. See, I, I, mm. I and singing in the rain's kind of wedged in. So I know for me, the title of a film is just wedged in in a song in the middle, where he comes out. And I know we're heading right into the middle here, but I, I don't care, right? <laughs> where he comes out of a bizarre night where they've spent all night just stood up chittering and chattering, and then where's Cosmo at the point where he kisses a good Kathy goodbye, and then he's out there dancing in the rain. All right, he's had a good idea about where they're going to go with life, but it's not. The romantic setup for me for for that that I was expecting, and I'd, I'd see how many times have I seen that that clip over the years? You know, you've seen it loads, but just as that clip, I've never seen anything else to do with it, and it was I was quite surprised with all these things were wasted into it. And I later on find out what is it? The you are my lucky star. That's the one that was written for the film, and actually I think that turned out to be my favourite. And I thought, well, is is it a case? Is it a case that? You know, I, I want to, uh, something like the Mary Poppins that goes on to be a musical and as the story and the musical, you know, things develop all the way through it, not just in the plotty bits or the singy bits, right? And we've been here before with Cabaret, haven't we? I remember this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but actually, I don't think that's the case because, and I found out this out 
last night, last night, uh, oh, oh, came something on my feed on one of my social media things, and it's for a film called Yesterday, uh, mm. which is about the Beatles, right? And um, but you know, by the time perhaps listeners hear this, it'll have been out. And I don't know if this is going to sink or swim. But I thought, wow, that looks amazing. Which is about a guy who, who picks up the Beatles songs because no one in the country has ever heard of the Beatles before. You know, it's like by some miracle, and he starts singing "Let It Be," and everyone thinks he's wonderful, right? And I'm thinking, well. That, as obviously, you know, you've got the Beatles songs for starters and then it's the plot's wedged in around it. And I'm thinking, well, I'm looking forward to that. So it's not that. Also, I wrote a rough plot around Elbow songs, right? I was going <laughs> I, I to do Elbow the musical, if you like. And I was ahead because, you know, their songs have a really good narrative and you can go, you can go through some of these things. I, yeah, I've actually plotted that out. So it's not that I don't like that. But I found this too bitty, too yellow. I really don't remember it being yellow, but OK. Yellow. Broadway melody, very yellow. The rest of it, not so much. I mean, it's quite uh, blue, actually. Right. Here we go. I've, I haven't written much about this because I knew that tirade would be a little while. <laughs> I've, written the, I've, written, I've written the word chemistry because I didn't feel that's, that much chemistry. You know, when I said to you that I thought it's, hev- it's heavily flawed, mm-hmm. and I would totally agree with that. I read Debbie Reynolds' autobiography many years ago, and I read about how he treated her and how mm. it was. And it was awful. He was awful to her. And then Fred Astaire was wonderful to her, which is why I'm in love with Fred Astaire. <laughs> um, but yeah, he was terrible. She was 19 and he was 40. Now, that's a big age gap anyway. So there's questions in my mind about why he cast her especially because she'd never done any dancing before and she was expected to learn how to dance as well as him and Donald O'Connor who'd been dancing all their lives in the space of three months so age gap um even a sensibility gap I always thought she was better suited to Cosmo to Donald O'Connor and in fact they did go on to be in films together and it worked much better he was 27 she was 19 in Singing in the Rain and that would have been a better dynamic and as I was watching it I was thinking you know what there doesn't have to be a romance in this because I do feel uncomfortable with them, possibly because I read the autobiography and I know how horrible he was, Mm. but also because they don't seem very well suited. He seems just a very vastly different character to her. I love Debbie Reynolds, absolutely love her, and I'm glad she got cast because we might not have known about her if she hadn't. Mm. So, you know, there's lots to be said for Debbie Reynolds and her performance is great. But I I agree with you that the romance and the chemistry is virtually non-existent because I just I, I sense that intimidation mm. between them and I, it's not it's not great. Yes, I told I will I will I will concede that bit. Right, okay. <laughs> Don't know whether Andy will. Though, <laughs> well, one one thing that that makes it really good for me is that the the romance isn't central. They actually get out of the way quite quickly. So they, they don't let that thing where they hate each other and then they love each other play out for ages. It's really quickly done. They get them together and they can focus more on the satire on the film business and everything. I agree that there isn't a lot of chemistry between them, but it, that doesn't matter too much to me, particularly because even though I don't like them as a couple, I think the set pieces are enough to overcome that. So that scene where he sings, you were made for me to her, like normally in these old musicals, these romantic slow numbers are like a significant drag factor on it. And they go overkill. They're too slushy. They're too, there's too much sort of fluffiness, hearts and flowers and everything. But I love that they do it on just that big empty soundstage with their own light and the wind effect and everything. And even though there isn't that chemistry between them, that brilliant thing of him singing about angels and everlasting love across this dirty old ladder is just a brilliant juxtaposition, I think, and it makes it a really unique set piece. 
And then like singing in the rain, like everyone knows that sequence. But just to like have him say goodnight to her first and then go, this is a representation of of like the joy you feel when you get together. So you can project onto that and you can say, well, I don't necessarily believe them as a couple, but I remember when I was with this person, this is how I feel. Uh, well, I felt I could have gone around and splashed around like, like a maniac like that. So the chemistry, it's not a big deal to me, really. No, I totally get that. But then, see, when I think about it, who would I want to cast differently? And I wouldn't want the cast to be different in any way. No. So, and I agree with you that the, the romance is almost throwaway, hence the reason I could said they could have just been three friends. Um, although you do then get that, it is a beautiful number, you were meant for me, absolutely lovely. And the gentleness of the dance, I mean... I know that Gene Kelly's third wife did say something about he only he choreographed for the lady he danced with. So it was nice and simple. And, and she danced it beautifully, considering she was such a new dancer. She danced, danced it really, really well. And so it's a pleasure to watch. And you're right, it doesn't drag like some of those do. And it's not ill-making. It's quite, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. quite nice. And it suits their characters because they're quite, they're quite pragmatic. They're not flowery people. Um, even though she's been a fan, you know, she really tells him off when she first meets him. She's not kowtowed by him. Um, so that's quite nice. But again, could have just been friends. Um, what was the other one? Oh, Singing in the Rain. I mean, Singing in the Rain to me is just one of the best numbers yeah. ever. And that dance, I don't care what reason you have to chuck it in. Chuck it in. It's one of the best things I've ever seen. It just makes me grin from ear to ear. And when he hops onto that pose, throws his head to the sky, and then that grin on his face... <laughs> It's just, it just lifts you. It's just the most beautiful thing. And then knowing that he was at the time with a temperature of 103, and that's been, you know, corroborated by quite a few people, he was incredibly poorly doing that. What a professional. I mean, he, I can't stand the man, but what a professional <laughs> that he could actually do that. And obviously it's been parodied since, one, one of the best parodies ever by Morgan and Wise, which was absolutely fab. Yeah. And you can only parody something when it's that famous and that good. Yeah. So no, I I do agree with you on that, but there is no chemistry. So I give you that too. I'm I'm really sitting I'm sitting on the fence. <laughs> excellent, excellent. I'm, I'm heading for a win. Uh, no, because <laughs> it's just that one thing. <laughs> yeah, just as you're saying that, I'm thinking. You know, I've grown up with that Morecambe and Wise thing, and I'm mm. thinking that that hit me first. I think. Yeah. <laughs> and then when yeah. you see the original, yeah, it's not Morecambe and Wise. <laughs> Morecambe and Wise. Um, right. Okay. I've got three C's here. So we've got the chemistry. That's uh, that's down. Cosmo. Go on, Andy. Talk to me. <laughs> Talk to me, Cosmo. I have lots to I me, Donald O'Connor is is the star of Singing in the Rain. I think he's amazing. I think every time he dances with Gene Kelly, I'm just lost in this incredible, like, fl- unbelievable flurry of feet. But then make him laugh. I mean, I think it's incredible. I think it's... Yeah, it's not like side-splitting in the way that you'd, you'd watch something that's like pure comedy, but it's... See, I'm a big Charlie Chaplin fan, and a lot of people watch Charlie Chaplin now and go, "Well, it's not funny," but to me, it's it's beyond that. The it it's the sort of the artistry, the skill of the routines that he's doing. And so, if you just watch a routine cold and just go, "Right, make me laugh," then there's nothing. But if you if you watch it for the artistry and you go, "Wow, look at that little movie did there, and how how difficult must must that have been?" And to me, that's what makes make him laugh so brilliant. I think he's combined comedy timing and incredible dancing ability to make this just this really strange but insanely energetic dance routine which apparently put him in the hospital for three days afterwards because he smoked four packs of cigarettes at the time and so a day and so uh wow. he was put in the hospital with it and then apparently he came back to the set and 
you got a round of applause and then Gene Kelly said, do you think you could do it again? <laughs> because uh, something had gone wrong with the original take. Oh, no. <laughs> anyway, all that's, all that's beside the point. Cosmo, I think, I don't get why he's annoying. Really. I, I can sort of see why he's annoying because if he, if he was in my life and behaved in that <laughs> way, I would find him very annoying. But I, I love his lines. I love his delivery. I love the way he's, He's just like quick off the mark all the time. Mm. I know it's written, but he delivers them like they're just flowing out of him. I always loved the line, oh, thank God we found you. We've been looking at every cake in town. (laughs) It's just like absurd, but it's, he says it sort of, he he stays sort of deadpan, but he's got a bit of a smirk as well. Mm. He's got a bit of a twinkle, hasn't he? Yeah, I think think he's got so much more personality than um, Gene Kelly's character. Gene is just, he's quite blank, really. But um, Donald O'Connor, for me, just makes that heart up because otherwise it'd be a bit dead. And he's a better dancer than Gene Kelly. (laughs) Controversial. Um, (laughs) But I genuinely think he is. He just, I love watching them dance side by side in Moses Supposes. I'm thinking, yeah, you're dancing him off the screen. Because Gene's so, it's so, not calculated, but it's so accurate. But when Donald does it, his arms are, are doing the right thing, but there's a flow to it and his feet are flowing and... Yeah. Oh, he's just brilliant. I watch him. I don't watch Gene. If they're yeah. in the same scene together, I'm not watching Gene. Well, one of my favourites is Fit as a Fiddle, right? Yes. At the beginning, that's an amazing routine, I think. Really good. And if I'm looking for, for a flaw, uh, the one thing that I really can't believe is that they get booed for that. Yes! Like, <laughs> right, I'm going to take um, one word from Andy there. I'm going to completely take it out of context and when he said <laughs> the word strange, I'm going to stick with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, very good. Yeah, I just... You know, it, it's peculiar because there's one picture of him on a poster and I think, oh, he looks a bit like me, a bit, you know, odd looking, you know, suitable for radio. <laughs> I agree that he's obviously overwhelmingly talented, but just just the whole thing seemed out of place and un, unnatural. And why was he there? <laughs> <laughs> just told you. I know, I know. I, you see, normally, right, I've, I've said to myself before I came in, he said, be strong, Paul, be strong. Don't be swayed by these people. They are very clever. They are very intelligent. They do always have good arguments and they're well thought out on <laughs> yours, but I'm, Still not no, 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 well, no. You're to, not going to do it this time. To me, he's, he's like, because he's the music, isn't he? He's mm. the accompanist. So he's the one who keeps Don Lockwood going. He's, he's backing. He drives him forward. And so when he's worried that he's not talented, he, he drives him on. He says, of course you're talented. Of course, his, his music drives him on and his friendship drives mm. him on. So he's the driving force behind Absolutely. the main character. Yeah, and in some respects, he's the person that... He's the conduit between us and, and Gene Kelly because without him there, we wouldn't like him like we do. You know, I, I root for him and Kathy Seldon because of Cosmo, in a way, because he just bridges that gap. You know, he's this Hollywood star, but he's made normal by having this normal, lovely friend who he's been friends with all his life. I just can't hear you say something horrible so about when, Donald O'Connor's character. So when, so when this was when this was built out, and I think uh, probably in our introduction we called it a musical romantic comedy. Is it generally seen as a romantic comedy? I don't see it that I, way at I all. I think a musical comedy is what it's yeah. usually built as. I don't think they normally put the rom bit in it. No, because it's not. It's such really. a small part of it, isn't yeah. it? Really. I mean, really, it's a film about films. It's a film about a particular time in history. If you watch the trailer, the original trailer, it doesn't really talk about the romance. It talks about, you know, a time in filmmaking when talkies came and blah, blah, blah. And it's all about that. It's all about what happened when, when silent films became talkies. That's the, that was the hook. And for me, that still is the hook. Yeah. You know, yes, I love songs and dances, chucking as many as you like, but I just love that whole idea of the history of going from silent to talkie. And um, I have a version of Singing in the Rain that I didn't actually realise had this on until I watched it 
yesterday. Where was, it, was it the good version? It has, <laughs> it has a little spool that comes up and if you click it, it'll tell you the influences for that part. And so there's this whole bit about um, this particular silent movie star, this chap, who was really, really famous and re- everyone loved him. And then it went to talkies and it just flopped, not because he had a terrible voice like Lena Lamont, but because he was just so dry and he just couldn't get any passion across. He was still doing all the gesticulations, but the voice was dead. And it killed so many people's careers. It's such an interesting time in film history. Mm. And talking of film history, well done, Rachel. You've led us perfectly. <laughs> I did on purpose. Well done. Uh, two decades before Singing in the Rain was released, another much less famous film blazed a trail for the portrayal of more bittersweet themes in the otherwise lightweight genre of musicals. Andy has been finding out more. Ah, Singing in the Rain. Perhaps the most famous movie musical of all time, certainly the most critically acclaimed, probably the most widely beloved, and consequently the most thoroughly discussed. I mean, you'd have to be a buffoon to try and write an original feature about it, let alone an hour-long podcast episode. None of the other famous musicals of the era, from On the Town through Anchors Away and An American in Paris, come anywhere close to touching it in terms of consistency or quality. But there is one now largely overlooked musical from nearly two decades earlier that rises above the feather-like confections of the average classic Hollywood musical to deliver a work of biting satirical impact in a similar fashion to singing the rain's deconstruction of the film industry. Not only that, but it also manages to trump singing in the rain in one regard by offering political commentary of continued contemporary relevance. This astonishingly powerful but deliriously entertaining film is Mervyn Leroy and Busby Berkeley's Gold Diggers of 1933. And I'd like, if I may, to take a break from discussing the much-loaded singing in the rain to give this undervalued gem its proper due. Gold Diggers of 1933 is the second in a trio of popular musicals made by Warner Brothers in the film's titular year. These films were designed to showcase the talents of dance choreographer Busby Berkeley whose kaleidoscopic production numbers quickly became the stuff of legend. Due in part to a hit Broadway adaptation in the 1980s, it is the first of these films, 42nd Street, that remains the most famous. But 42nd Street's backstage melodrama does not even begin to compare to Gold Diggers of 1933's fizzy satirical playfulness, while the subsequent Footlight Parade, with its fast-paced putting-on-a-show narrative, is a comparative headache of a film. Gold Diggers of 1933 goes much deeper than either of the films it is sandwiched between, with the ambitious concept of creating a screwball comedy musical all about the Great Depression, the effects of which were still being keenly felt by cinema-goers of the time. I'll make them laugh at you starving to death, honey. The film often addresses the plight of its three spirited actress protagonists with brightly presented gallows humour. In their introductory scene, we find them huddled in bed in their insalubrious shared apartment. Come on, let's get up and look for work. I hate starving in bed. Name me a better place to starve. This exchange is typical of Gold Digger's zippy sense of humour, and yet the film does not shy away from the seriousness of its subject matter. The film has by far the best script of the three musicals, and, if its plot is relatively weak and is resolved in a sloppy manner which makes it look like there are scenes missing, 
This hardly matters in a film which pulls off the seemingly impossible trick of managing to foreground ingenious comedic set pieces and lavish production numbers, while imbuing the whole experience with the ominous spectre of the wolf at everyone's door on both sides of the screen. This is our press rehearsal. We got a great show. It opens tomorrow night. You can't do this to me just because I don't pay a few bills. When the show opens, I will pay them. Tell it to the sheriff. In the hands of the more than competent director Mervyn Leroy, what could have been a shaky foundation emerges as an effervescent yet politically significant framework on which to hang Gold Digger's numerous glorious baubles. Although there's much to enjoy elsewhere, the four big production numbers are undoubtedly the features that have made Gold Diggers so enduring. The film is famous for being released before the oppressive production code began governing Hollywood's output, and so there's a greater deal of sauciness on show particularly in the risque Petten in the Park, a number that contrasts its glorious Art Deco recreation of an outdoor environment and its passing seasons with moments that may nauseate modern audiences. Petten in the Park Bad boy Petten in the Dark Bad girl First you pet a little Let off a little Then you get a little kiss Petten on the side Oh my Act a little shy Oh why Struggle just a little, then hug a little, cuddle up and whisper this. In its depiction of wooing couples canoodling in public, Petten in the Park features a visual gag in which the women coyly fend off their male partner's insistent advances by donning dresses made of metal, something one man gets around by using a can opener which is handed to him by an actor with dwarfism portraying a baby. Yikes. Petten in the park with you. In the shadows let me come and sing. By contrast, the elegant Shadow Waltz is a tasteful, hypnotic kaleidoscope of dazzling beauty, featuring women in elaborate dresses playing neon-tubed violins which create glow-in-the-dark effects. But if Petten in the Park maintains the depression theme by focusing on one of the only activities young people could escape into that doesn't cost money, and the Shadow Waltz offers an escapist glimpse of the fantasy grandeur so elusive to those in poverty, it is the opening and closing numbers of Gold Diggers that are deservedly legendary. Gone are my blues and gone are my tears. I've got good news to We're in the money kicks things off, easily the most famous song in the film, but one that has often come to be taken literally through its later use as a soundtrack to scenes of wealth and opulence. We're in the money, we're in the money. We've got a lot of what it takes to get along. Here, in its original form, the song is powerfully satirical as chorus girls draped in gold coin dresses singing about finally being able to look their landlords in the eye are interrupted before they can finish the routine by unpaid creditors who close down the production around them. This is the fourth show in two months that I've been in of and out of. They close before they open. The Depression, Derek. Ginger Rogers, who plays a supporting role in the film but exudes the obvious star quality that would soon find her taking leading roles, shines as the lead in the routine, and in one of the film's most startlingly surreal moments, delivers a whole verse in pig Latin, giving it a woozy, hallucinatory quality that almost makes your body feel like it's bending. If this glorious opening number epitomises Gold Digger's sly political resonance, its even more remarkable closing number, Remember My Forgotten Man, ditches the laughs in favour of ending the film on a suitably grim note. 
with the slight romantic plots quickly wrapped up beforehand, Remember My Forgotten Man sent Depression-era audiences away with something to really think about. Its focus is on the Forgotten Man, a term coined to describe those who had fought heroically in World War I, but now lived in abject poverty. Against a backdrop of imposing sets inspired by German Expressionism, Remember My Forgotten Man is mournfully sung by the fantastic Joan Blondell, whose mesmerising eyes are used to full melancholy effect. Forget your sympathy. It's all right with me. I was satisfied to drift along from day to day till they came and took my man away. Remember my forgotten man? You put a rifle in his hand. You sent him far away. You shouted, hip hooray! But look at him today. We see images of veterans being pushed around by police officers and thousands of former soldiers marching mournfully away from the prosperity they'd been promised into cruel destitution, all accompanied by Blondell's haunting, low-toned croon. It's a bravely bitter pill on which to end such a frothy, upbeat picture, and it works spectacularly well, leaving viewers resonating on the themes which underpin the whole production. Amongst the output of a film industry that often focuses on giving its audiences a means of escape from their problems, Gold Digger's determination to address said realities without sacrificing the light-hearted entertainment value resulted in a musical quite unlike any other. The seemingly impossible mixture of excess and poverty, of laughter and desperation, of reality and escapism, make it a resonant milestone which retains its relevance during the regular recessions we so frequently find ourselves enduring. In this respect, Gold Diggers of 1933 would make an ideal double feature with either Singing in the Rain or I, Daniel Blake. Name me another film you could say that about. In the shadows when I come and see Andy, thanks for that. I just uh, made a note here of uh, Gold Diggers of 1933, which I'll watch right after that Harold and Maud DVD you gave me before we made episode one. <laughs> uh, which I'm now, I'm now, I've thought about this. So if, if, how would I watch that? I've still got it, don't worry. I've not, I've not sold it on eBay. We have been, we've been flogging some old stuff. Uh, but I, I, no, keep that. Don't flog it. Uh, I'm going to have to watch it on a laptop or something. Oh, we, haven't got a, we haven't got a DVD player anymore. Now, my willingness to talk about the way we watch TV nowadays, which is actually a big pet, pet hate of mine. You know when they say on five, you're always on Five Live where they say, well, the way we watch TV nowadays. We know. <laughs> That's the way we watch TV. It's been the same for like six years now. Move on. We haven't got CFAX anymore. <laughs> Shame. Is that your other C? CFAX? So, no, 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 no. Don't worry. We're getting to the other C. And... Uh, Station owners, don't panic. It's going to be okay. Um, so, yeah, I was just trying to avoid going back to the film. Um, right, okay. Actually, this leads us... Where we've gone down here, this leads us perfectly to my final C. Probably my final point. And it's your witness. I've got the word choppy written down. Now, I find the editing of this choppy... Now, I think what you're going to say to this is like... Well, no, actually, this is... Because you, you watch films that were made before... 
uh, you see, I, my rule is generally 2012 at the minute. Because um, <laughs> even then, even then you go look back to 2012, you think, God, what were they thinking? <laughs> no wonder you're struggling with 1952. <laughs> Tell me about it. Right. So, so I'm thinking, well, you, it, was it invigorative of the time just like, just to go from one thing to seemingly another thing and just not have much relation between the two? In a musical, yeah, because it was about usually about the songs. This is why... Mary Poppins 2 is so good. <laughs> I, I still haven't seen it yet. You're kidding me? No, still, still <gasps> same, not seen it. Same no here. way. We're waiting, but, Paul. But do, do, you like, <laughs> do you like the original Mary Poppins? Do you know what? I genuinely can't remember. Because uh, that's that's the same. That mm. that goes all over the place. It's just little adventures, little, yeah. little yeah. bits here and there. Yeah. It's, it's not it's, something... It's not, sorry to interrupt. It's not something... But you did ask the question. It's not <laughs> something that I, I've definitely seen quite a few times before, but it doesn't it doesn't make me lure back and feel... You know, but this, this last one connected big time. Big time. It's, it's something for the ages anyway. Carry on. <laughs> As you were. Uh, yeah, mo- most of them, most of these kind of, uh, from the Arthur Freed unit, uh, Arthur Freed was a producer who headed the unit at MGM that made all these musicals. And if you watch something like On the Town, it doesn't really have a plot. Or American Paris, which was a massive critical success, wasn't it? It mm. won tons of Oscars and stuff. I don't even really like it. So... It's not just that I have a soft spot for these these musicals. I do think that Singing in the Rain does have a really good thread that runs through it. And the fact that they started, they took the songs to begin with and built a plot around it, it amazes me that it's, it is so coherent. Mm. I, do, I don't think it's choppy by accident. They, they know, maybe they wouldn't say, let's make it choppy, but they'd say, <laughs> they know that these are like little sideshows <laughs> along the way. You know, so, I'd respect them more if they did. <laughs> Maybe that could, maybe that could be an alternative title. Chop it up. Gene Kelly and <laughs> Debbie Reynolds and let's make it choppy. I'm chopping in the room. No, but it's interesting you were saying about American in Paris because obviously that was just one year before and um, I don't like it either. Yeah. So this whole thing about, oh, you're not singing in the rain because it's a musical of that time and it's edited in this way. Can't be true because I don't like American in Paris, which is virtually... For, for, Format speaking, it's almost the same. So you have that, the Broadway melody, which granted, it's really odd. Like, why is that in there? But it's so great, I don't care. In American in Paris, there's a big section, isn't there, in the, in the middle of the ballet section. And and it got an Oscar. And I think they sort of went, oh, let's do it similarly because we got an Oscar for this. But I love Singing in the Rain and I can't stand American in Paris. And I think somewhere in that lies your answer as to why we love Singing in the Rain. And I can't think what makes them so different, but they are so different. I think I actually, I care about the real history, the film history that's in Singing in the Rain. I love the songs and dances in it. I love the casting, even Jean. Whereas American in Paris, I love Leslie Caron. I think she's incredible. But it didn't work for them, but it did work for Singing in the Rain. I, d- I honestly can't tell you why. It, it's got a story. Singing in the Rain has got a story. It has it's got, got a story. It's got hooks to hang these, yeah. these things on. Whereas American in Paris uh, is just a sort of, it doesn't... It, and it's, go anywhere, it's it? all about it's just got the romance hasn't it and yeah. it's supposed to it's supposed to hinge on that but yeah. there's but not a lot else it's not to... believable is it no but whereas we're singing in the rain you're getting from the moment Donald O'Connor is a little boy with Cosmo right the way through you see how he became who he is the story that he gives but the truth of it underneath which I really like that that you see that just like they do now they tell us oh dignity always dignity but actually it was not like that at all and these fantastic moments as well some hilarious moments where you see the beautiful Lena Lamont she's so sophisticated so beautiful and then 
you realise she's not saying anything. You don't realise for a while until he keeps stopping her from doing the speech. And then eventually this voice comes out, this scratchy kind of voice. And that moment, then they repeat it when they say, right, we need to make a talking picture. I can see it now. Um, Lockwood and Lamont, they talk. And she goes, well, of course we talk, don't anybody? And they all go, oh. <laughs> and it's just, it's brilliant. It's absolute class. And even if you don't care about the romance or the songs or the dances, if you're interested in film, this film should be interesting because it is quite reasonably factually accurate as well as to what happened with the microphones here, there and everywhere picking up a heartbeat. Because I know Debbie Reynolds' heartbeat was actually picked up on one of the mics as well. So it genuinely did happen. Was it the jazz singer that they went to see? Was that the first talk? The jazz singer, yeah. It was the first talk, yeah. Not that I'm ever going to see it, but what's that like? It's very, very dated. Mm. you, You would only watch that. If you were really interested in history, yeah. that's why I watched yeah, it. No. If you if you sit down and watch it and and you think, wow, this is the moment where he, he first talks, this is where he bursts into song, you can connect with the the audience mm. in that way from that time. Yeah. And, but it, it doesn't quite have enough to, to carry me through as a modern day viewer. No, exactly. Which is why I think Singing the Rain fills that gap for us is that not only is it telling us about that and the impact that it had or the, the fact that they could actually do musicals now and not just on the stage and that people that's, that taught diction were sought after massively, all these massive changes in the history of film. And that at the beginning, and it was true, people thought it was vulgar and people thought it wouldn't last. And, and we can't imagine that now that, you know, yeah. people actually said about talkies, oh, oh, it's just a fad, it won't last. Why would you ever think that? But they genuinely did think that. But we don't want to get that from the jazz singer because the film itself is just whatever. Singing in the Rain, yeah, I'll watch that. That's much more entertaining. Mm. So you, you mentioned Lena there, who I think is my favourite character. Oh, she's awesome. Um, did you feel sorry for her, I suppose? I, that's, I did. I did until the moment when she decided she was going to sue <laughs> the company um, because you thought, hang on a minute, you're actually quite venomous and there's quite a lot of intelligence going on there. She was playing stupid. But the fact that she had thought that she could maybe sue the, sue the film company, I thought, nah, there's, there's more going on there. So, And she got somebody fired, which is... Fairly horrible. They did put a cake in her face, I suppose. Well, yeah, but, but she deserved it. <laughs> but then I, I, I don't feel sorry for her just because right at the beginning they plant that seed mm. where she ignores Gene Kelly when he's a lowly stuntman and then suddenly she realises he's going to get his big break yeah. and then she's all over him. And yeah. I hate that kind of yeah. snobbering. So immediately... Yeah. That made me think, right, I don't like you. Yeah, no, she and she plays it so well. And Jean, they planted Jean those seats without her even saying anything. This is so very it's... true. But she loved doing that part. You could tell she absolutely just went for it. And it's beautifully done. Well, the amazing thing for me is that she's not involved in any of the major set pieces, any of the musical numbers. No. And yet when people leave this film, she's still one of the big talking points. Yeah. And she was one of the only two things in it that got nominated for an Oscar as well. Oh, right. so. oh I didn't know that. And, uh, so... In my willingness to try and steer us away from the subject of the podcast, um, <laughs> Singing in the Rain is uh, cited quite widely as inspiration for La La Land. Have you seen that? Because I, yeah. I have a yes. difficult relationship with that film, surprisingly I, enough. <laughs> I have a difficult relationship insofar that I was liking it, liking it, liking it, hated it. And then I've, I don't want to watch it ever again. I don't so. like it at all. No. I didn't like it at all. But I, that interestingly brings me to i got a little special section set aside called If Paul Doesn't Like It. <laughs> uh, and the, the subtitle to that is Contradictions. Uh, because I was worried that if you didn't like this, you might influence people not to see it. So I thought if I outlined some of the contradictions okay. around you in this film, then, uh, 
it he might, already knew what they were going to be. That's right. So, uh, <laughs> you, you brought up La La Land. So, back when La La Land was coming out, we we had all met up in the pub and someone mentioned it and Johnny said, oh, what's La La Land? And you, having seen the trailer for it, said... Oh, it's this new film uh, with, what's he called? Ryan, Ryan Gosling. Oh, and, uh, Ryan so, yeah, yeah, and you said, oh, it looks brilliant. Mm. Now, well, that, look that's at, a lot look to do. That's, that's a, sorry to interrupt. That is a lot to do with Ryan Gosling. I can so, watch Ryan Gosling in most things. It's one of his films I, I stopped halfway through and I can't remember the name of it now. It was just Only so God awful. forgive. That's the one. Yeah. That's the one, <laughs> that's the one where know? my friend Scott always talked about lighting in films. Oh, you should see this film. It's great lighting. That, I couldn't even see no, that. Just watch Drive. <laughs> uh, uh, um, just watch Drive. It just looked brilliant because Ryan Gosling was in it because the whole thing just looked like a to me even when I saw the trailer I thought that looks like a bad sort of pastiche of musicals Mm -hmm. and I know people say oh no that's not the point that's not what it is but I thought it was really badly done but why why did that other other than Ryan Gosling why did it look good to you the case for the defence is open at that point I hadn't seen the film yeah okay right and I've still not exactly seen the film right here we go right here we go right I've tried I've tried (laughs) to watch it once by myself on my phone and I thought on your phone so this is the problem with it. <laughs> it is, it is. But hey, this is the, what, the way Did we watch. Did you watch This is the, the way we watch phone. TV nowadays. Um, no, not all of it. Some of it. Oh God, it did. It's just, it's just consuming, isn't it? I've got very good earphones. Oh my God. But hey, it's all becoming but clear. hey, it was, I, I can listen to overdubbed tap dancing in my earphones any, <laughs> any time. Of it's the day. accurately dubbed. I think, I think you'll find. Anyway. Bye, Jane right, Kelly. So, um, uh, and then I started to watch it with the family. So I watched it over and go. So I watched the intro and I'm like, no, I'm in this. Watched it again with the family and started to enjoy. But then, you know what families are like. Stuff goes on. Um, so we've been seeing about the first half an hour and I've no idea why. Um, <laughs> but I want to come back to it at some point. And actually, I was really enjoying it at that point. I mean, really enjoying it. But again, no it's Ryan, Ryan Gosling. I mean, I, I really, I'm a big, don't get me wrong, I'm a very big fan of Emma Stone as well. I, mean, yeah, I think pretty yeah. much everything she touches is gold. But hey, Ryan Gosling, stick him on the screen. That's it. I'm a gog. Anyway, anyway, there we go. Something to do with the that it's a modern because it's it's just to me it's like quite a flabby pastiche of this style. Mm. But is it that that it's a modern film, so it's it can't help but it's made after twenty (laughs) twelve. It's all about the year. It's all about the year. Is it something about? I'm trying to figure this out. Is it something about the style of the acting? Because it is very theatrical. They didn't act in a naturalistic way in musicals in those times. It just didn't. But in La La Land. It's more naturalistic. Yeah, is yeah. there something about that? I, I think is it pr- a you contrived probably hit the nail on the head. thing? You probably hit the nail on the head, but that I doesn't mean to say I'm going to like it anymore. <laughs> I know, but imagine if it was recast and it was now. So it's almost exactly the same, but the acting that's going on is much more realistic. The that's romance is truer, but the songs and the dance are exactly the same. Would, would that be more acceptable? All right, let's take out Make Them Laugh. Um, <laughs> I didn't say you could do that, <laughs> but okay. Yes. Still, this is it. <laughs> what can we do about that? Nothing. Nothing. Okay, right. I think that's that's one point to us. Right, okay. uh, right back back to back to my back to the contradictions. Yeah. <laughs> and another C cabaret. Back in the cabaret episode. God, never say anything to Andy. Never let you forget it. What is recorded? What is recorded? I've got no. Uh, I can't get out of this. No. Back in the cabaret episode, you complain that you don't like musicals because they're all about putting on a show. Now, here's a, a quick list of films that you've recommended to me in the past, Paul. School of Rock, Nativity, yeah, Sing show. Street. What happens at the end of all those films? They put on a show. <laughs> <laughs> um, mm. Oh, Paul. Well, I'm a work in progress. <laughs> uh, and that is directly quoting Davina McCall. 
Good quote. <laughs> 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 okay, really I've only got your credibility there, Paul. <laughs> I've only got one more. I've only got one more. Oh, this nightmare is over for But it'll lead into that because I wanted to talk a bit about the dancing anyway. Okay. Uh, you're a massive fan of Strictly Come Dancing. Yes. And you've even been to see it. Yeah. Uh, this is true. Now, That's true. singing in the rain, right? Greatest dancers in the world, incredible things. Mm-hmm. Why are you so happy to spend an hour watching newsreaders and impressionists <laughs> trip over their size nines? But the, you put the greatest dancers in the world up there and it bores the hell out of you. Good question. <laughs> Over to you. <laughs> okay, right. Now then, the case, the defence, it is... Is that they stitch it together with this wafer thins as I as I direct back to you, sir. As what you said earlier. Sorry, I'm pointing that. It's very rude. Um, this wafer thin plot in between it, and I'd, I'd like if they had Claudia Winkleman in between these. There we go. That's it. She's funny. Uh, she's on the ball. She's very good at live television. So it's the format, man. It's that yeah. it's more. It feels more honest to so you than it, they just but, but let me tell you this. Let, let's go right back to the beginning of this, and let me tell you, this. I wanted to like this. I wanted to like it. I wanted this to be the thing. I wanted to come into this studio, sit behind this microphone and say, on my first day back at work, this was the film that pulled me out of my <laughs> I object. Stupor. I object. I think that you self-sabotaged because you watched it after a first day back at work. That was your first mistake. That is and somewhere down deep time, down you're going, if I watch it now, I'm desperate not going to like it, am I? I think we all we've been know on it after you for 50 so episodes, we all know each other a little too well. Better than I know myself. But to um, be fair, coming off the back of all that, I'm, I'm, I was quite hoping that you weren't, weren't going to like same. it. Same. It's <laughs> much more entertaining episode. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just the idea of you watching the sink and... <laughs> it's just really quite and also, even though I've, I've let go on you there I'm happy for people not to like stuff that I like now <laughs> and that was like a major thing in my life mm. I used to get so wound up by people liking stuff that I didn't like and that, and then yeah. like one day I just went why? why does that bother me? and start listening to what people are saying and it'll be really interesting you'll see some different and it, that has genuinely made me a much happier person to do. So <laughs> strike the last, like, ten minutes from the record. And <laughs> we'll... yeah, well, I, I think this is a perfect opportunity. And I, I do. I must have done this many times over our podcast to quote Scro- the brilliant Scroobius Pip, where he says, we may not be for everyone, and that's fine, mm. isn't it? Absolutely. You know, um, which is, you know, hey, that's how we set our spoiler stall out. <laughs> uh, Andy, so you wanted to talk about the dancing before yeah. uh, before well, we start to wrap up. Yeah, I did want to. I did want to check with you. Were there any like routines that you actually found entertaining? Just can you divorce it from the plot and just? I think, was here. I we go. Like here we go. I was the the one with the, the one the song before the singing in the rain where there's the three of them where there's the good morning. Good, good morning. Oh, damn it! I was trying to get away from that. Wasn't <laughs> honestly, honestly, so I was at work the other day and someone said good morning and that was it for the next <laughs> half an hour. Good morning. Good morning. And I don't know any more words. That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> So that routine I really liked, apart from the fact that a little while, it's a very long house they had there, mm. like some episodes of The Simpsons, you know where they do a Jerry, or, or no, <laughs> Simpsons, they do it in The Simpsons, but they definitely did it in Tom and Jerry, you know, where they oh, chase yeah, like 100 yeah. metres through a house. Um, and they go back there, and obviously the sofa had been moved, because they went through to the kitchen, they danced back through in there, and the sofa had been moved. Now, <laughs> I'm picking up on that, I'm not being flawed by the dancing, but I was enjoying it right to the point where I saw the sofa move. And then oh, the end of the end of that is just so cheesy. Where there's such a fake laughter, and then you, you know we're a big fans of that IMDb trivia, and everyone says, "Oh yeah, they did that sofa move forty times." You yeah. know, but if, have you ever? They, 
By never mind that. Have you ever done that on a chair or a sofa? Um, I think I've I mean, thought that's... about it and thought yeah, better yeah, of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I have done it and I got into a bit of a pickle. <laughs> 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 it was me. It was me and a friend of mine. Mum wasn't in, so this is the first time she'd have heard about it when she listened to this podcast. Oh, no. uh, how old was I? I think I was about ten, and. Uh, we just thought it'd be a lark. Yeah. <laughs> so we tried it and it really hurt. <laughs> so don't recommend it. I must admit, all I want to do is now, but you can see, you can see exactly where don't it's going to do go it wrong. Don't do it really. I know it's to, you can tell it's going to go wrong, can't you? You think it's going to be a soft landing? It's really not. Um, so, yeah, obviously the singing in the rain is good. It is good. It's annoying. I just, I just sat there thinking, he's getting so <laughs> Have you ever done that, though? I, 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 like when I was young and a bit more kind of impetuous... I can remember, like, getting caught in a rainstorm and everyone running in and just, like, starting to follow them and thinking, actually, I'm going to stand there and get really wet until I don't care. And eventually you hit that point where you don't care. And But then I tried it again recently and I hated it. <laughs> so I don't <laughs> know if it's just age. tied in with, with being young. Mm. Possibly. I just wanted to be comfy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and you know you've got to dry your clothes and stuff. Yeah, you? yeah. You, know, you know the consequences of it now. Mm. When you're a kid, you just go and throw your wet clothes at your mother and go, right, I'm off to play. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, exactly. so, not like that now. It's when it soaks through to your pants. <laughs> it's <Horrible>. never good. <laughs> it's awful, isn't it? <laughs> um, can I just... Because we're talking about dancing, can I just bring up Sid Charisse, please? Oh, uh, yeah. Because I'm just in awe of the woman. So Sid Charisse, for those who don't know, possibly Hi. might be Paul. Hello. Sid Charisse is the lady in the green outfit in the Broadway melody section. So the dancer who, with the short black haircut. Oh, yeah. Um, classically trained ballerina, beautiful dancer, um, danced with Fred Astaire, danced with all the big dancers. Um, had never done jazz dancing at all. This is the first time she'd ever danced anything other than classical ballet. And I just wanted to say her name, really, and just point her out, because I remember the first time I watched it, that moment where he sees her foot and the hat on top of her foot, and then it goes slowly up her leg with the wrinkly tights at the knees, I hasten to add. And then it goes, I always notice that, and then it goes up to her fantastic, beautiful green dress. And then she does the most sensual dance ever, and it's beautiful, and she just dances him off the screen entirely. It's just sensational. I absolutely love it. So moving on to the ending now, um, you, I think you're both going to agree with me. It's very abrupt. And that, that complete lack of chemistry that we all talk, all agreed on earlier was very apparent in the it final. Just been, I feel a bit cut off. I, I did like that whole bit where they managed to trick Lena into, you know, revealing herself. And I love the little arm dance that they do. It's one of my favourite bits. <laughs> that is already fun. I don't like that they don't include Debbie Reynolds' character. I don't understand why they don't. And then, like, Gene Kelly is, like genuinely mean to her it's like you've got to do this it's too yeah. big and they actually like trick her as well it would have they been easy just to. to include her yeah. in, in on it yeah but then you wouldn't have had the, the fleeing thing and stop yeah woman. yeah but you don't need but that no do you? you don't you don't no well I must admit the ending is anything for me that's sort of like mm, whatever because well I'm not invested in that relationship particularly yeah right so we're going to get to our verdict <laughs> and I'm pretty confident I think we've heard uh, wafer thin plot we've heard strange from one corner we've heard <laughs> Annoys me slightly. Um, slightly. Disappointing ending over here. Yeah, there's only one way this is going to go. <laughs> so, Selective hearing going on here. Is it singing in the rain or a wet Wednesday night in Wigan? <laughs> it's singing and dancing oh. in the rain. Oh, well done, Andy. Well, I think we know where I stand. Uh, right, so in the rain. Two to one. Uh, I've been wondering now whether... 
just for this special edition, this 50th episode, uh, where our uh, esteemed producer who watched the film uh, this week uh, with his good lady wife uh, wants to give us a thumbs up or a thumbs down just through the glass. And this will probably be the carrying vote because he's uh, a <laughs> Radio, Academy, Radio Academy Award nominated <laughs> producer, uh, Mr. J.L. Hoare. Uh, just give us a thumbs up or a down. Oh, oh, he's on the fence. That was it, right? Okay, right. So, oh. uh, um, I'd know where to go from there. <laughs> <laughs> go back and watch Singing in the Rain on a weekend. Yes, when you're not at work or have just been at work, and don't watch it on a phone. <laughs> I know my screen's cracked as well at the moment. Oh, it was all in in the crack on the phone. Yeah, all for good stuff. Other than that, it'd be fine. Right. So. <laughs> the final C is the crack on the, the, crack phone. On the phone. That's the decisive C. Perfect. What a poetic ending. And. Talking of which, uh, thanks so much for listening. Thanks, as always, uh, to our esteemed producer. Thanks to Rachel. Thanks to Andy. Uh, and uh, if, if you've enjoyed, if, if you've enjoyed, for you, for enjoying <laughs> uh, the, the the last 50 episodes, it's, it's it's been a blast. It's been, you know, a real, real enjoyable period of our lives. So uh, we carry on ploughing on through series eight uh, and you'll find out what's next at the end of at the end of the programme. Until then, we leave you with the genial Andy Goulding. Singing in the rain is not like singing in the shower. You can't control the temperature, trajectory or power. I don't think I would last even a quarter of an hour before I started wilting like an overwatered flower. That lovely scene where love-struck Jean begins to twirl and twizzle will mesmerise your starry eyes the way only showbizzle. But try it for yourself and soon the magic starts to fizzle. There's very little glamour and gyrating in the drizzle. You've been listening to Spoiler, hosted by me, Paul Tyler, with Andy Goulding and Rachel Bennett. Our theme music was composed by Ron Butcher. If you've enjoyed the show, please do tell your friends about us, share links to our show, or write us a nice review on iTunes. If you'd like to contact us, you can email hello at spoilerpodcast.co.uk. Find us on Twitter or Facebook, or go to our website, spoilerpodcast.co.uk. Next time on Spoiler, we'll be watching the 2018 Queen biographical picture, Bohemian Rhapsody. I didn't know his fancy dress for it. I've got to make an impression, darling. You look like an angry lizard. Spoiler is produced by Johnny Hall and is a Joe Schmo production. The show was recorded at the studios of Siren Radio in the heart of the beautiful Cathedral City of Lincoln. Everybody go home until further notice. I'm dancing.